passage this morning comes from Romans chapter 3. So go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles. Uh, I know there's some few Bibles around as well, so you might want to grab one of those. While you're turning there, I know Brad introduced me, but if you walked in late, my name is Devin Kahn, and I'm the junior high coordinator here at Highlands. Uh, I've been here seven years, so in July of 2007 is when I came on staff here, uh, going on my eighth year here. And I just want to thank you for your support. You guys have obviously literally supported me financially. Uh, <laughs> but also just very encouraging, very emotional supporting, very uh, just amazing the, guy, the support you guys have given me over the years. Uh, and you guys helped me get married a year and a half ago or about a year and a half ago. So thank you for that as well. That was pretty big. Uh, you guys have watched me grow up. It's very sad. Um, <laughs> Romans 3, I was going to start off with all sorts of cheesy jokes, but I just don't have time. You know, there's just no time. Romans 3 is so filled with amazingness that it's actually going to be a shame of how little I cover of Romans 3 today. So please read all of Romans 3 later and just meditate on it for weeks because there's just so much in there. Uh, But let's pray before we read Romans chapter 3. Lord, we come to you this morning and we beg you. To teach us. We beg you to rebuke us. We beg you to correct us. Lord, train us in righteousness. Let us hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 3, and we're going to start in verse 21 and read 21 through 24. So this is Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. And just so you know, this is Paul writing to the church. In Rome, the the Roman church. So he's writing to Christians. He's writing to us. Hear God's word. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Wow. Are you amazed? Are you dumbfounded? Are you impressed? Isn't that incredible? Well, I don't see anybody jumping for joy or with huge smiles ear to ear or even tears rolling down their cheeks yet. Uh, why is that? Why doesn't that passage strike us to the core? Why doesn't it impress us and move us deep within our souls and our hearts like it should? You aren't impressed with that one? Let me tell you a story. Maybe I'll get the tears rolling this way. Let me tell you an amazing story. Before I tell you the story, I need to settle something really fast. Sorry. Uh, When you go out and throw a baseball with somebody else with a mitt and you throw it back and forth, do you say... Hey, let's go have a catch or let's go play catch. So raise your hand if it's, hey, let's go have a catch. Nobody? It's all, let's go play catch? Wow. My wife is right. Okay. uh, All right, so here's the first story that will blow you away. Uh, There was once a man who played catch with his father on a baseball field. Nothing? 
That didn't impress you? Wow, tough crap. All right, let me tell you another story. Let me try again. A dog sees his owner from a distance and hobbles as fast as he can towards him down the grassy knoll. The end. No? Still not impressed. Wow. Here's another one. This is for you, men. I expect you, men, to, you know, don't worry about your manhood right now. Just feel free to cry. A stadium full of football fans chant for one of their players. The end. I see a couple laughs, but I don't see any tears. I don't see any smiles ear to ear. These stories should rock your souls. And they, they should move you deeply, but they're not. All right, here's my last attempt. And this one's especially for the ladies. Now, ladies, I expect you to be faithful and just ball after this. Just ball. A prince frees a princess and they ride off into the sunset. Why is nobody crying? Why is nobody visibly moved by any of the stories that I just told? It's the same reason that we tend not to be moved by Romans 3, chapter, or Romans 3, verses 21 through 24. This passage that we just read is made up of statements that should deeply move our hearts and our souls. Ear-to-ear smiles, tears rolling down our cheeks should be the proper response when we read Romans Chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Because it contains the gospel of Jesus Christ, it explains how we are righteous before a holy God. It is a climactic passage that should blow us away. After all, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, the gospel is so good, it's epic. The title of the sermon is, It's So Good, It's Epic. See, in our culture, if, 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 if your spouse or your parent asks you, how was your day, and you say it was good, they'll just interpret that as, oh, he had an okay day. Right? Good kind of means okay in our culture. But if your spouse or your parent says, how was your day, and you said, it was epic, <laughs> your parents are like, oh, my goodness, you had an amazing day. Right? There's a huge difference between good and epic in our culture. The problem is we see the gospel as just good, as just good news, when in fact it is so good, it's epic. I know know what the youth are thinking right now, like nobody uses epic anymore, that was so 2013, (laughs) but I still use it, and I'm a slow learner, so I'm going to use it in this sermon. Uh, I, I would hear it all the time over at the U. It's so legendary. It's so epic. I know, 2013, I get it. But epic. The gospel is so good. It's epic. The problem is the gospel doesn't blow us away. We aren't deeply affected by these verses, just like we aren't deeply affected by the stories I told earlier. The gospel has lost its luster. Its power has been tamed in our lives. Its beauty is fading from our hearts and souls to the realm of head knowledge. We have heard that Jesus Christ laid down his life for sinners, but this statement is just a statement to us. Is that it? It's nice to hear. It's nice to hear regularly. But does it 
move us deeply? Does this glorious truth ever really affect us in a deeply personal way? For some of us, we have never been personally and deeply affected by the gospel. It just hasn't happened. For others of us, at one time we were moved. At one time we were impressed. At one time we were deeply impacted. But now, not so much. At least not as much as it used to be. In either scenario, it is just good news to us. Gospel, just good news? Just good news? So good, it's epic. Why is it? Why is it that we it doesn't affect us the way we want it to, or the way it should? It's because we don't have the whole story. We're missing a vital piece of the puzzle, and here it is. We must first be deeply moved by our sin. And then, and only then, will we be deeply moved by the gospel. We must first be deeply moved by our sin, and then, and only then, will we be deeply moved by the gospel like we want, like, like it should be. So let's first take a look at our sin problem. We're going to work backwards. So now go to Romans 3, starting in verse 10. We're going to read verses 10 through 20. We've already read the good stuff. And now it's going to seem like I'm about to burst your bubble. But that's not my intention. My intention is to make your bubble bigger and better. That should be an expression. Romans 3, 10 through 20. Uh, and, and just so you know, Paul is about to write and cite a bunch of Old Testament passages and verses, and he's going to use the Old Testament uh, to tell us what's, up, what, what's going on. Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And if you thought Dan Gilbert's letter to LeBron James four years ago was bad, that was really bad. If you don't know who Dan Gilbert is, ask Lee Hutchings after the service. Right, that was a scathing review. That was serious stuff. It just got real up in here. Right, because what Paul is saying... And before you start thinking, wow, I didn't know he was going to address sin, and I didn't know if he was going to talk about sin, I really wish I would have brought my friend or my neighbor here today. Because, man, do they need to hear about sin. Do they need to really kind of have a, 
a face-to-face meeting with Jesus and really be exposed for their rebellious lifestyle, man, they could really use this passage. Before you go there, like we all do, my prayer for you is that you take what we just read deeply personal. Take it to heart. Let it be personal to you. And it's pretty straightforward, right? I don't have to do much explaining of what just happened to us. We just got uh, knocked upside the head by Paul. Um, Right in verses 10, uh, 11, and 12, he basically says nobody does good. Nobody's righteous. Uh, Right? (laughs) Very clear. In verses 13 and 14, he zeroes in on our mouth. That so much sin comes from our mouth. Uh, And he talks about a throat... um, Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. Uh, And this could either mean, you know, our heart is so wicked, it's like everything that comes out of it, as the Bible says, if your heart's wicked, what comes out is wicked. Uh, So this idea of an open grave and death and destruction just coming out. Um, Or it could just, you know, be referring to the death and destruction that a grave kind of symbolizes of our mouth and what our mouth brings to the table. Verses 15 through 17, uh, Paul considers the impact of, of evil in terms of actions and in society, right? If you look at our history, it is littered with murder and warfare. All sinners do, you and I, all we do is leave in our wake devastation, ruin, and misery. And verse 18, we, ha- we do not fear God. Any society that commonly assumes that God will not discipline sin in this life or judge sin in the next life will have no fear of God and will therefore itself increase, just increase in evil. You don't care what you do because God isn't going to judge sin. So if I'm not fearing God, that means I can kind of do whatever I want because I'm not worried about his judgment. I'm not concerned with that stuff, so I'm just going to do what I want to do. Pretty straightforward. This is a letter written to you and I that is rough. But it is our reality. It is the sin that is in us. Um, And again, before you think, oh man, I wish I brought somebody to hear this, take it deeply personal. Uh, and, And to help you take it more personal than you maybe are, Let me read a couple of those verses again, which I think are the worst of the worst. Uh, And I'm going to change it up to, instead of like all of them are unrighteous, I'm going to say you are unrighteous. To Just kind of change it up to second person. Verse 11, you do not seek God. Verse 12, you are worthless. You are not good, not even close. Verse 13, your throat is an open grave. Verse 15, your feet are swift to shed blood. Verse 16, in your path is ruin and misery. This is how the Bible describes our living reality. This is us. It's though, it is those other people that you're thinking of right now. It is them too. But it's primary, this is the focus. It's us. Our main concern should be us, not them. It applies to everyone, of course. Uh, But the main concern is us. One of our problems is that we don't deal with this part of the story. 
One of, our, one of our issues, the reason why we aren't deeply moved by the gospel is because we don't deal with this part of our story. We don't fully accept this reality. Instead, what we like to do with our sin, well, we either ignore it, right? You can ignore it in many ways, and I can't list them all, but you could ignore it through work, right? Just dive into work so heavy and so hard that you don't really have to think about your sin at that point because you're so busy with work. Maybe it's a hobby, uh, or maybe you just keep the television on, or maybe you just keep the radio on. Maybe you just keep playing with your phone, so that you really don't have to deal with the harsh reality that is the sin in you. There's lots of ways to ignore sin, and we do it every day. Another way we kind of don't deal with the reality of sin is we, we focus on other people's sins. Right? We know there's sin in the world, and we know there's this reality of sin, but we have the spotlight on other people and thus not the spotlight on ourselves. We, are, we spend so much energy and so much time saying how bad they are, we don't have any time left over to examine ourselves. We don't have any energy left over to identify the sin that is in us and the rebellion that is in us. So we either ignore sin or we, we are so focused on other people's wrongdoings and the third one kind of has to do with the second one, but we, we blame others for our sin. So, okay, we're going to admit some fault here. We're going to say, you know what, I was wrong. But then with a louder voice say, well, it's because they started it. Right? We'll admit some, some sin, but not as much as we'll really point out the sin in others. Uh, we'll admit that we've done wrong but only because they started it. We admit that we're not perfect, but with a louder voice say that they are more in the wrong than I am. We like to play the victim instead of the perpetrator. That's our MO. So we ignore sin. This is how we we don't deal with this reality of sin. We ignore it. We just kind of focus on other people and other countries, or we blame others for our own wrongdoing. Now, I realize that this sermon might not be the most feel-good sermon of the year at this point. Um, But remember, you must first be deeply moved by your sin before you can be deeply moved by the gospel. We must realize how bad off you and I are before we can start to have a deep and living, heartfelt conviction for what God has done on our behalf. Don't we all want that? Don't we all want to be moved deep down within our souls of what God has done for us? We must realize how bad off we have it before that happens. I almost titled this sermon, Grandpa's Sermon. Uh, And the reason for that is because grandfathers are amazing at saying things to the, to the younger generation so that they really appreciate how good they have it. Right? They'll tell you how bad off they had it so that the younger folk can realize how good off they have it. And you've heard the line, right? I used to walk to school five miles in the snow uphill 
both ways. Right? You've heard that line. It's a classic. It's a classic grandfather line. Um, We don't hear it as much anymore, right? It's kind of, I've never walked in the snow both ways, so I can't say that to the younger generation that I work with. So it's being replaced by other things that, that you may be able to relate with. So here's some maybe more updated versions of that same idea. Oh, you don't have any pockets for your cell phone that also acts as a gaming system, CD player, and computer? When I was your age, I didn't have a computer. I didn't have a phone. I had a black and white Game Boy and a Discman. And neither of them were close to fitting into my pockets. And plus, I had to hold the Discman upright or else the tracks would skip. Yes, that's right. Or here's another one. And what's that? You hate when people call you on your phone and want to talk to you instead of text you. When I was your age, I could only make calls on weekends or after 9 p.m. during the week. And times were really tough when you had to carefully decide whose text messages you were going to keep in your inbox. Rough times. Here's the last one. Oh, there aren't enough ways to edit your pictures? When I was your age, we had to show everyone the real, unglamorous, pale self. And if there was bad lighting, well, we just had to deal with it. What's the point of when I was your age lines? That we all do, by the way. Any older person to a younger person is is capable of saying things like this. Why do we do it? Because the older folk are desperate to show the younger people how good they have it. And the only way they're really going to appreciate how good they have it is to make them understand how bad it once was. In the same way, Paul is desperate to show us how bad off we have it. How bad off we have it without Christ. Because if he does that, he can then show us how good we have it with him. Paul is desperate to show us how good we have it in Christ by showing us how bad off we are without him. So how bad is it without Christ? There is no one righteous. There is no one who seeks for God. All have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We hate to deal with this reality. And so we don't. We ignore it. We deflect it in all sorts of ways. You see, for some of us, we will admit that we are sinners. We will admit that we are not perfect. And sometimes, just sometimes, we will even admit in in emergency situations that we even need God. But if you're asking me to own up to that harsh Romans 3, 10 through 20 indictment, I don't think so. After all, I have my dignity, and I need to keep it intact. I have a reputation to uphold, and I can't uphold this good reputation of mine if I'm saying to everyone, or even to myself, that I have never done good. 
I will admit fault, but let's be reasonable here. The truth is, there is no reasoning with God. Look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. There is nothing, nothing we can say or do to convince God to get us off these strong charges that Paul brings to us. There's nothing we can say to get us off the hook, to get us off the charges that have been brought in Romans 3, 10 through 20. We are all in the same boat. People in here, the people out there, we're all in the same boat, and that boat is sinking fast into a pit of death and destruction. We are literally at the mercy of God. And mercy he delivers. Let's read again the good news in verse 21 through 24. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Wow. Paul just spent the last 10 verses, 10 through 20, communicating to the church, you and I, that we are all unrighteous. And in these verses, he contrasts our perfect unrighteousness with God's perfect righteousness. And God's perfect righteousness has been revealed to us. And he says the righteousness that's been revealed to us isn't the law. Because the Jews who are hearing this message firsthand, and the Gentiles, but the Jews specifically would think, oh, the righteousness of God. Oh, I know, that's the law. Because in the law, the righteousness of God is revealed. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. It's not the law we're talking about here. We're talking about a person. And the law points to that person. The law points to this other reality. It's not the law, because by the law, no one can become righteous. Paul makes it crystal clear that he's not talking about the law. He's talking about a person. And the law and the prophets simply point to this person. Jesus Christ purchased our righteousness before God by his own blood. What kind of righteousness do we have through Jesus? We have the righteousness of God. Not our own. Of God. Verse 23 and 24 sum it up beautifully. Paul says, we are perfectly unrighteous. So we must rely fully and completely on a perfect righteousness, not earned, but graciously given to us by God and purchased by Jesus Christ. God, in verse 24, redeems us through Jesus. This gives us the picture that God, this gives us the picture of, of slaves being set free because somebody purchased them. This gives us the picture of people who have been slaves all their life. Somebody comes along, purchases them, and frees them up from slavery. This is what God does for us. And that doesn't wow us. That doesn't deeply move us until we admit that we have been slaves all of our lives. To our own doing. To our own sin. 
God redeems us through Jesus. He frees us from the grips of our own sin. There is only one way for guilty sinners to be righteous before God. There is only one way to be good before God. There is only one way to be worthy before God. That is to receive the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. The gift of God's righteousness is given to the people described in Romans 10, Romans 3, 10 through 20. God's righteousness is given to no good, terrible, horrible, very bad people. And that's what makes it so epic. So epic. That's what makes it so epic. Paul was a hunter. He hunted Christians. He chased them down, he punished them, and he got them to reject their faith. Here is a man that literally persecuted and had Christians killed. His mission in life was to be a contrarian. A person who is dead set on doing everything contrary to the name of Jesus. Like I said, the gift of God's righteousness is given to the people Paul is describing in Romans 3, 10 through 18, including himself. God's righteousness is given to no good, terrible, horrible, very bad people, and that's what makes it so epic. How is God able to give real sinners real righteousness? Jesus takes on our record of sin and thus the punishment that comes with it, but he also gives us his own record of righteousness and thus the rewards that come with it. And so now if we are in Christ, we are not just good. We are righteous in the eyes of God. I read this. uh, I'm about to read something that I read from my junior high students uh, around Easter time, trying to to bring them something that, that captures the amazingness of the gospel. And of course, we celebrate the amazingness of the gospel at Easter, but we need to celebrate it every day. So here's what I read. He said goodbye to his paradise in heaven and said hello to the pollution on earth. God lowered himself and became a man, Jesus. Jesus came to earth for one purpose, to rescue those drowning in sin, to resuscitate those dead in sin, to release those enslaved to their sin. He came down to save because we were unable to obey. The good news of Jesus Christ is though we could not get to God, He came down to us and lived the life that we could not live. Perfect, righteous, holy. All of the things that we are not, all of His thoughts, all of His words, and all of His actions brought honor and glory. To God Most High. After 33 years of sinless obedience, Jesus exchanged his record for ours. Imperfect, unrighteous, unholy. All of the things that we are but shouldn't be a collector of idols, money, sex, power. We are overflowing with greed, lust, and pride. We have broken God's law so quick, everyone go run and hide. 
guilty. A record so heinous that if God sentenced us to a life in prison without parole, it would be an act of grace because we deserve more. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he exchanged his record for ours. And now the spotless lamb is the ultimate sinner, the one on God's most wanted list. Jesus, the son of God, took on our sin and turned himself in. The punishment, tried numerous lashings with a whip of spikes. A crown of thorns driven into his forehead, nails pounded through his hands, nails pounded through his feet, a bloody display of justice for sins, not his. But the punishment for Jesus went beyond skin and bones. It went straight to his heart as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The climax of Jesus' punishment came at the loss of his father. Not because the father passed away, but because God had turned his back on his son. And it's because Jesus exchanged his record for ours. God turned his back on Jesus so that he could turn his face toward us. And with our new record of righteousness bought by the blood of Jesus, we are now the beloved sons of God, forgiven, reconciled, adopted. A new life with God to be enjoyed now and forever. And when the Lord calls me home, I will thank Jesus, my Lord and my Savior, in person for exchanging his record. Are you blown away by the gospel? Or is it just nice news that's nice to hear regularly? Oftentimes the gospel, as in Romans 3, 21 through 24, does not deeply move us the way it should. One big reason for this is that we try to cover up our sin instead of confessing it. We are not willing to admit or really give much thought to the harsh reality that is our own sin. As a result, we are not deeply moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember those amazing stories that I told you at the beginning of this sermon? Those amazing, incredible, deeply moving stories that none of you were deeply moved by? There was once a man played catch with his father on a baseball field. Unless you know that scene comes from Field of Dreams, it will not impact you the way it should because you don't have the whole story. A dog sees his owner from a distance and hobbles as fast as he can towards him down the grassy knoll. You must first know that this scene comes from Homeward Bound before you can understand why I have been deeply moved by this scene. A stadium full of football fans chant for one of their players. You must first know that this scene comes from Rudy before you can understand why I have been deeply moved by this scene. A prince frees a princess and they ride off into the sunset. Now, I didn't have a particular movie in mind here because this is like 99% of Disney movies here. But some of them, some of them can be quite touching, I will say. 
those four scenes I just read you, I've cried in all of those. I'm a movie crier. Like those, those scenes get to me. They move deep within my heart and my soul every time. And it's be, and some of you are like, I, I don't understand why that's so moving to you because you pro, well, you, you probably haven't seen the whole movie. If you just hear a man has a catch with his father, you're like, okay, that's nice. That's nice. But is it deeply, no, it's not deeply moving unless you know the whole story. Same with Homeward Bound. Don't even get me started on that one. Same with Rudy. Same with the prince who frees the princess. All of these scenes are climactic scenes that are meant to be deeply moving. But you weren't deeply moved when I first told you about them because you didn't know the whole story. You were missing a crucial piece to the puzzle. And once you know the full story, then and only then do those climactic scenes become amazing, incredible, and deeply moving. But it matters what the whole story is. For instance, if you just hear the prince freeze up the princess and they ride off into the sunset, and since none of us know the movie that I'm referring to specifically, that's not very moving to us, is it? I mean, it's nice. I'm glad the prince freed the princess. But it really matters what the prince freed the princess from for whether or not we are going to pass judgment of, oh, wow, that's impressive or not, right? For instance, if the princess saw a little itty-bitty spider in the corner of her palace, got freaked out and said, Prince, come save me. And the prince came and and took care of the little itty-bitty spider that was not threatening to her, but it was just in her eyesight. And the prince freed her from the spider and they just decided to go for a walk in the sunset. Okay, that's nice. Gentlemen, you should kill spiders for your spouses, but that's not deeply moving, is it? However, if, what if the princess was kidnapped right before her wedding was about to start by the evil queen? And the princess was locked up in an undisclosed dungeon for ten years, and this dungeon was guarded by many men and two fire-breathing dragons. And after ten years of searching for her, the prince somehow is able to find her and somehow is able to free her. And the next day... After 10 years of suffering, they have their wedding and the whole town celebrates. And the prince and the princess ride off together into the sunset. Is that impressive? Yeah. Is that deeply moving? You bet. It all depends what the whole story is. God's rescue mission of us doesn't deeply move us the way it should because we don't realize how bad off we had it. We don't realize, just like that princess, we were captured and enslaved, except this was by our own doing and our own sin and our own destruction that we brought upon. But like the princess, we were without hope or a chance of joy. But then the Prince of Peace came from heaven to earth to find his no good, unrighteous, and worthless bride and rescued her. The Prince of Peace peace did not rescue a beautiful princess. He rescued you and me, warts and all. Now that's epic. We must first be deeply moved by our sin. And then, and only then, will we be deeply moved by the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, convict us of our sin 
Lord, I can talk about the realities of sin until I'm blue in the face. But unless you convict us, we will not see it. Lord, allow us to see the sin in our own life. Allow us to see its ugliness because we so badly want to see your beauty. I pray that we would become undone by our own sin. And Lord, as soon as we take a hard, honest look at our sin, I pray that you would blow us away with your redeeming love. You have given, by your grace, righteousness to the unrighteous. Thank you, Jesus, for purchasing my righteousness. God, thank you for sending Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. That in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And we pray these things in the name who exchanged his record for ours. Amen.